Hi there, friends. This is Pastor Rivero from Liberty Baptist Church, and I'm excited to let you know that our church is now live streaming our services. So you can check it out on mylibertybaptist.org or on YouTube. Our services are at 11 a.m. on Sunday, 5 p.m. on Sunday, and 7 p.m. on Wednesday, all Eastern time. But in the meantime, enjoy this sermon podcast here from Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. Uh, Luke chapter 2, if you would, this morning in the Word of God. Luke chapter 2, as we continue our study of the birth of Jesus Christ here as we finish out this church year. It's the year 2023 that we're finishing out, but I think about finishing out the church year in the sense of our theme being forward. And of course, I think moving forward requires us to look backward at the birth of Jesus Christ. And so I think that we'll continue to do that this morning in a message that I have entitled, No Vacancy. No Vacancy. And I think you could probably understand a little bit of where we're going with that thought here this morning. Um, You know, before the advent of travel, online and by online travel i mean booking flights online booking your hotels online rental cars all of those things which is very convenient in so many ways to be able to do but i uh am old enough to remember the generation that if you wanted to travel a lot of times you would have to get guidebooks you'd have to get you know pamphlets and those kind of things and one of the favorite things that i would do with my dad growing up is if we were going on a vacation we never usually went very far but if we went on a vacation we would go to triple a And we would go and get one of the guidebooks for the state of which we were traveling. Because if you wanted a hotel, you had to look through that guidebook to find out what hotels were in what cities. Uh, You couldn't just go online and Google it or something like that. You had to go in there and they'd have the prices for the year, for this season or for that season, to find out what the amenities were, to find out if they were AAA certified or not, whatever that meant. Uh, You would find out all of this information online. This was all available, well, not online, in the guidebook. Uh, This was what was available to you. And if you didn't do that ahead of time, you just drove. And just about every motel that I know of back in those days had a sign outside, didn't they? One of those no vacancy signs. Uh, It would be lit up with just the vacancy if there were rooms available. And when they sold out for the night, the word no would light up. So they would have no vacancy. An ingenious idea that now is no longer in force because you just sit in the parking lot of a hotel if you don't have one and Google it and just do it online. That's the way it works now. And I kind of miss the quaintness of those days of looking over the maps and looking over the guidebooks and doing all those types of things. There not being any vacancy. And so I remember times we would travel from the long distance from Tampa to Kissimmee, Florida. The Great one-hour drive uh, right down I-4 to be able to spend a couple days uh, in the Orlando area. And my dad would never book anything ahead of time. We would just go and look if the no vacancy signs were there or not, and that's how we would find the place that we stayed. You know, thinking about those things, if someone turned away a family of three on Kissimmee, in Kissimmee rather, uh, it's probably not that big of a deal. But as you know, we're going to look here in Luke chapter 2 that there were some people who turned away none other than Mary, Joseph, and of course, Jesus Christ. And turning away our family, probably not that big of a deal. Turning away Jesus is a very big deal. And of course, you might consider the fact that as we think of there being a no vacancy sign in front of the inn 
where Jesus Christ was not able to be born and Mary and Joseph were not able to lay their heads. I'm not as concerned about that today. That's past. As I am concerned about those who perhaps have a no vacancy sign in front of their heart. Not talking about an inn that will not make room for Jesus. I'm talking about souls that refuse to make room for Jesus. And as we see here in Luke chapter 2, is very instructive in helping us to understand that we need to have hearts that are open to Jesus Christ and to the gospel message. Would you stand please for the reading of God's word? We're in Luke chapter 2, a very familiar passage. It may I encourage you as well, Luke chapter 2 in our family, it's been our tradition even before Bethany was born, that uh, on Christmas morning, December 25th, we read Luke chapter 2. It's what we do every year uh, from verse number 1 to verse number 19. And uh, if you have any kind of traditions in your home, I would encourage you, start your day with the Word of God. Hey, that's a good tradition every day. Amen. Start your day with the Word of God. But particularly on Christmas Day, you can do no better than to start by reading this account here in Luke chapter 2. We'll read part of it in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, and we'll read to verse number 7. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It's amazing to me. The greatest event in human history is given to us in such simple prose here in Luke chapter 2. So much of the time we deal with the hyperbole and bombast of the world that makes a lot out of nothing. But yet the greatest event to this point in human history is given to us in seven simple, beautiful verses that I hope we can give attention to this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you just be with me as I present this message and what I believe you've placed upon my heart. May I say exactly what needs to be said. But Lord, as seriously as I take the commission you've placed upon me, I also take seriously the fact that there are some here who do not know you as their Savior and that there are real consequences for those who do not trust Christ and there's real joy and eternal peace for those who do. I pray that this would be abundantly clear by the time this message is over today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I want to encourage you this morning, reading Luke chapter 2 and perhaps even when we just read it over the last few moments, you might be saying something like this. I'm familiar with this text, Pastor. I've heard this before. It's been read to me since I was a child. I know these verses, but can I encourage you this morning to look at these with fresh eyes today, to not just look at it as, as you've heard it in the past, but to look at it today realizing that God has something He wants to teach you from this text today. And it's amazing to me, I come to this text pretty much every year and look at it from different perspectives as the Lord allows. But I'm always seeing something new, and God's always teaching me something new out of this text. So I want to encourage you to be able to look at that here today. Well, Luke chapter 2 begins by giving us some historical context to what's happening. And it says that there was a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. 
And in case you're curious, because this is a historical event that took place, we're reading real events that took place here in Luke chapter 2, just as we read all throughout the Word of God. But Caesar Augustus was a real emperor of Rome. In fact, his great uncle, no doubt you're familiar with, Julius Caesar. He was assassinated in 44 BC, and Octavius was named in Caesar's will as his adopted son and heir. And as a result, he inherited Caesar's name, estate, and the loyalty of his legions. And it's that Octavius that we are looking at here in verse number one when we see Caesar Augustus. It's said that when uh, Octavius came to Rome, it was a city of brick, but when he left, it was a city of marble. Caesar Augustus reigned as emperor for 41 years. During that time, he gave the world the famed Pax Romana, which means the great Roman peace that spread all throughout the Mediterranean world. Not that everything was perfect by any stretch, but yet a, a great uh, uh, moving forward for humanity in some ways. He reformed the Roman system of taxation, developed networks of roads with an official courier system, established a standing army, established the Praetorian Guard, as well as an official police and firefighting force for Rome, and rebuilt much of the city during his reign. And I would say that there would be many who maybe would consider Octavian during that time to be a political savior, one who helped bring peace and prosperity to a Roman Empire that had gone through much infighting over many years before. But yet, while they were looking for a political savior, we understand that their real need was for a religious savior. Or could we put it this way? The savior. And in the vacuum of Jesus Christ being anyone's savior, something else has to be elevated to that level. And in the Roman Empire, that's exactly what happened with Octavian. In fact, it says that in 16th of January, 27 BC, the Senate gave Octavian the new title of Augustus. Augustus is from the Latin word agru, which means to increase and can be translated as illustrious one or sublime. It was a title of religious authority rather than a political one. And it indicated that Octavian now approached divinity. See any problem with that? But yet this is the time and this is the, the place that we find the events of Luke chapter 2 taking place. And when it came time for this taxation, the census that took place, and history tells us that there was a real census and a real taxation that went along with it because the government always finds a way to add extra taxes to whatever anyone's doing. And so certainly that was the case here. And this census, this taxation required everyone to travel to their home city. And history shows us that this really happened. In fact, when the time came to take the census in Israel, it's possible a compromise was made to take account the Jewish custom. The Romans ordinarily enrolled men where they were currently living, but the Jews counted families according to their ancestral hometowns. And we know that just by going back to the Old Testament, seeing that's how they would have numbered men through their tribes where they were born. And so that would explain why Joseph and Mary had to return to Bethlehem at a most inconvenient time when the Bible says she was great with child. And I think sometimes we have this idea that she's riding on the donkey and she's going into town and she's about to give birth at any second. And while certainly she was great with child, I don't know that necessarily the urgency was there down to the very minute because it does tell us in verse number six. And so it was that 
while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. So my understanding looking at this is while certainly she was great with child and certainly uh, there was an understanding that the birth could take place at just about any time, that there was a little bit of time that was there from the time they got to Bethlehem till the time that Jesus was born. Certainly not a great length of time, but at the same time they weren't necessarily going into Bethlehem saying, we've got to find some place right now because the baby's going to be born in the next 10 minutes. I don't know that that's necessarily the case, but it was urgent nonetheless. And the Bible tells us that they were going to find a place of lodging and found none. They were trying to find a place where they could lay their head and they found none there in Bethlehem. And you say, why Bethlehem? Well, Bethlehem was their ancestral home. And we could even go back to our series that we just completed last week from the book of Ruth and find out that Mary and Joseph's lineage would have gone all the way back to David and before, meaning they would have had to go to this little town of Bethlehem to be counted and to be taxed. And so when we see this, that here's this woman who's great with child, and she's with her, uh, her espoused husband and, and, and knowing that this, there was a need for lodging and knowing that there was a need to be taken care of, can you imagine that there were people that would say, we can't help you. There were people that literally said, there's no room here. That every single door was shut and every single heart was shut to Mary and Joseph and to that baby that was still in her womb. I think there were some reasons for why the doors were shut. But may I tell you here this morning that there is no acceptable reason to turn away Jesus Christ. And just as that was true here in our text, it's just as true for us today. Do you realize that when Jesus Christ comes knocking on the door of your heart, if you will, that there is no acceptable reason for anyone to turn away Jesus Christ? But yet people give reasons. People make rationalizations as to why Jesus cannot have a room in their heart. And the first reason that I see from our text here this morning in reference to the actual in space is this, because of the inconvenience. There was no room because of the inconvenience. You know, inns in the days of the Bible were not like the hotels or the motels that we have today. Now, it's true. There were some public inns during those times. I think of the account the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you'll remember when that Samaritan uh, came that he actually took uh, that man who was wounded and took him to a public inn and actually gave money to be able to have him taken care of and said that there's anything uh, that is spent beyond what I've already given you. When I come back, I'll make sure to reimburse you for that which you have spent. That would have been a public inn. Uh, that would have been a roadside motel, if you will. But there just weren't many of those during those times, during biblical times. That was not the way that people typically lodged when they were traveling. But rather, we see something quite different. We see that lodging places, inns if you will, were typically places provided by common people. What were they? They were people who had separate dwelling areas who allowed people to stay there. It could have been a spare room. It, it could have been one large common room. And many times it was the case that when you dwelt in that inn, if you will, with those people, uh, that you were dwelling with people you may know, people you may not know, and you'd probably be dwelling with their animals as well. All within the same space. All in the same location. And as such, it was inconvenient to have those types of tenants in your home, especially when they didn't pay. I mean, think about it. You've got your home, you've got your setup, 
You've got everything the way that you want it, and there's a knock at the door. We don't have a place to stay. My wife is pregnant. We don't know when she's going to deliver. Do you have some room for our family? And maybe those people were already lodging people already. Obviously, a lot of people were traveling because of the taxation that was taking place. A lot of people were going back and forth. It may have been that they weren't just trying to be cold-hearted, but it just got to the place where it would have been inconvenient for a few more people to be in their house. It was inconvenient. Can I tell you that when we consider people's need for Jesus Christ, I find that oftentimes people have some level of understanding that they need Jesus. But they often say something like this, this isn't a great time. There's something that I want to think about later. And that reminds me of a time when Paul was preaching to a governor named Felix. And Felix in Acts 25, 24, it said of him that as Paul reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. Hey, that's good. That's some level of conviction, isn't it? He hears of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. He trembled and he answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He says, I understand what you're saying. I feel the conviction of what you are saying through the Holy Spirit. But this is not a great time for me to have Jesus Christ come into my heart. Could I tell you this morning that righteousness, as it mentions in Acts 25, 24, is through Jesus Christ. Temperance is through Jesus Christ. And there is judgment of hellfire for those who turn away Jesus Christ with a sign of no occupancy upon their hearts. That's about as popular as I thought it would be today. But it's still true. Is that there are consequences for those who say, I'll pick a better time have Jesus Christ come into my heart. Could I put it to you this way? If you truly understood who Jesus Christ was, you wouldn't wait. If you truly understood the judgment to come, you wouldn't wait. If you truly understood what the stakes were, you wouldn't wait. You would say, this isn't about convenience or inconvenience. This is about the most important event in my life, trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior, understanding that I'm a sinner, understanding there's a penalty for that sin, and understanding I've got to make this decision now. In fact, nothing else matters until I make that decision. When considering salvation, think of 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, which says, Behold, now is the time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There are those who will say, well, I'll wait till I'm out of college and then I will wait and make a decision for Christ. Or I'll wait until my family situations calm down and then I'll trust Christ as my Savior. I'll, I'll wait until I'm older and that's something I'll ponder in my elder years. Or maybe even some have said in past times just foolishness. Well, I'll wait until I'm dying and if I'm on my deathbed, then I'll make a decision for Jesus Christ then. Could I remind you that Proverbs 27.1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You may think that you have tomorrow. You may think that you can make a decision in a more convenient season, but there is no more convenient day than today to trust Jesus Christ, your Savior. Remove that no vacancy sign from your heart and recognize that your sins uh, require forgiveness and only Jesus Christ can do that. I remember when I, I mentioned the tumor in my jaw a few times the last few weeks, and I don't often do so, but I remember that I felt intermittent tooth pain for maybe a couple years before I actually got it checked out. 
It, it only happened every once in a while, and I don't know that it was all related to it, but I always said something like this, I'll get it looked at later. Because after a couple days, it got better. And who wants to go to the dentist? Who wants to go to the doctor? I mean, look, look even if, if you're awake, you can say amen to the pact about who wants to go to the dentist, right? We can all agree about that, unless I've offended a dentist that's here this morning. If that's the case, I apologize. But in general, we don't want to go to the dentist, so I always put it off. But when I finally took care of telling the dentist, I really need to get a scan of this because there's something that's not right. You know what I found out? There was a problem. Now, thank the Lord it wasn't cancer, but it was a tumor. And you know, there's some of you here today, you have the cancerous tumor of sin that is upon you. And that if it doesn't get the healing effect of Jesus Christ upon it and his sacrifice and the blood that he shed, if it doesn't have that today, you don't know that you can do it tomorrow. Do not wait another day. There are those who said here, it's just an inconvenient time. But I also see this. There were those who turned away Jesus Christ because of inhospitality. <laughs> there are those who turned away Jesus Christ because of inhospitality just like I planned it. All right. May I remind you, we're, we're not talking about a Motel 6 here they're trying to pull up to. We're talking about that no one's leaving the light on for them. We're talking about this idea of not a hotel that's sold out and nobody can do anything. Oh, you know, well, we'd love to help you, but it's just looking at my computer, it looks like we're all booked for the next couple weeks. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about far-flung corporations that have required or have told Mary and Joseph they can't stay there. We're talking about people and homes that have turned away people that were in need. And by the way, at that time especially, that would have been a great insult. Going back all the way to Abraham's day, the manners and customs of the time were to take in travelers and strangers and to treat them as part of your family or better. Think of Abraham with the angels. Think of Laban who was eager to welcome Abraham's servant or Rebe and while Rebekah attended to the comfort of his camels. Uh, Jethro the Midianite was disappointed that he was deprived of the opportunity to give hospitality to Moses. Uh, Manoah, Samson's father, did not allow the angel to depart before he had partaken of the hospitality. And even the Shunammite woman uh, had a special room prepared for the prophet Elijah, or Elisha rather. You find all throughout the Old Testament of the manners and customs of the time, and even of the commandment of the Lord, that you took care of those who were not part uh, of your family, or those who were not part uh, of your tribe, or even not part of Israel. You take care of them when they came seeking refuge or seeking help. You were to treat them as good, if not better, than your own. But what did they say? There's no room. Isaiah 58 verse 7 says this, Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Meaning this, don't try to look away when there's someone who needs help. When Mary and Joseph are knocking, don't, don't say, nobody's home. No, you, you are obliged to help. You are obligated to be able to render aid to them. But what happened? There was inhospitality. You know, when something's inhospitable, that means that something is not welcome because of harshness or cruelty. We've all been to maybe inhospitable climates it's way too hot or it's way too cold. I imagine if you went to Death Valley 
and you found out that it was about 120, 130, maybe keep going up degrees, I'd call that inhospitable. It's harsh. It's cruel. If you were part of an inhospitable group, maybe you went to a new group or maybe you went to, to, to be part of, of, of a, a, uh, uh, an organization or something like that, and you found out that you weren't very welcome. They treated you like a stranger. They, they treated you like you didn't even exist. They wouldn't even look at you. That would be a group that would be inhospitable to you. But could I tell you today, John 6.44 is true in your life. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent, him, sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Do you realize that the God of heaven is calling to you today? No, no, that, that's what Jesus said, that, that, that the Father is drawing, the Spirit is drawing, that the triune God is calling to you today and wants you uh, to come to this knowledge of salvation, to accept the gospel message. He wants you to do that today. May I ask you, will you be inhospitable to Him? Will you treat Him through harshness or cruelty and refuse Him a home in your heart today? He will not force Himself upon you. No, no, he requires that you open your heart to him uh, in salvation. He requires you open your heart uh, to the gospel message. He will not pry your heart open, just as Joseph was not going to break the door down because of the inhospitality of those who were supposed to be taking care of him. But yet there are hearts today that refuse through inhospitality the Jesus Christ who wants to come into your heart and save you. It's inconceivable that those people would deny Mary and Joseph and by proxy, deny Jesus. When you see the history of the Old Testament, when you see how those who were strangers and those who were travelers were treated, it's inconceivable that anyone would have turned them away. But it's even more inconceivable today that a heart would tell Jesus that there's no room for him. It makes no sense. It's inconceivable that someone would say, Jesus... My heart is full of my own wants. My heart is full of my own desires. My heart is full, listen to this, with my own sin. You say, you have no business telling me that my heart's full of sin. Well, Jesus is the one who said it. He told those who he spoke to, and we find out uh, before uh, he lived and after he lived that, that it was the prophets and the, the apostles who all confirmed that which was said was that, 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 that every man is, is, a, is a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, what do we do? Through those sins and desires and selfishness, we have said, Jesus, you're not welcome here. Can I tell you, friend, that's a dangerous place to be today. Say, Pastor, I would never say that. I'm here at Liberty Baptist Church today. That doesn't mean that you have made a decision to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. We're glad that you're here today. In fact, there's no better place that you could be if this is where God has brought you. There's no better place that you could be today to hear the gospel message. But just by hearing it doesn't mean that it'll make you saved. Just as much as, you know, standing in a garage doesn't make you a car. Being in a church doesn't make you a Christian. What do you have to do? You have to accept that gospel message today. Understand, again, that you're a sinner and that only Jesus Christ can save you. That, that he died on that cross, that he shed his blood for you and for me so that we could be saved from the penalty of sin and death and hell for all eternity. And we would say, eh, Jesus, no thanks. I got my own stuff. 
say, Pastor, nobody does that. A lot of people do it. And you may be doing it today. Why would people turn away Jesus? Well, because of inconvenience, I see here in Luke 2, because they're in hospitality, but also because of their ignorance. Because of their ignorance. That word ignorance sometimes bad rap in the sense that if someone is called ignorant, it's like, what do you mean? Well, ignorance simply means lacking knowledge, information, awareness about a particular thing. We're all ignorant about certain things. We're all ignorant about certain things. You know, I try to fix things and I find out I'm very ignorant about those things. Some, I was asked yesterday, can you, can you get me a hammer? And I didn't have a hammer, but I did have a can opener. You know what I did? I revealed my ignorance. Ignorant. I don't know. Where's your hammer? I don't know. But I got a can opener. There's some who would say about Jesus Christ, I, I, don't, I don't understand. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm ignorant. You know what's interesting? Go to verse number 16. Because there were some shepherds who heard the message. They left their flocks. By the way, shepherds weren't supposed to do that. It's part of the name. You watch the sheep. But they realized there was something more important than those sheep at that moment. The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And they came, and look at what it says in verse 16. And they came with haste. They came quickly and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. These shepherds see Jesus in a manger, a feeding trough. We just talked about that last night. Brother Dan made mention of that. Swaddling clothes, which clothes for the burial, which is another message. And here he is, meek and mild. And what do the shepherds do? They run out and tell everyone they can. I have to imagine, I have to wonder, is if the shepherds are going around, that some of the people that turned Mary and Joseph away said, wait, wait, wait a second. You're talking about that couple that just came to town? She's about to have a baby? You're saying that baby is the Messiah? I have to wonder if there were some of them that when they heard the news and maybe put the pieces of the puzzle together, they said this, if I'd only known if I had only understood that this was the Messiah, if I only understood that this was the Christ child, I, I, I would have welcomed him in. I would have given him the best room. I would have given them the best of our food. I would have given them everything that we had. Oh, if I had only known, I, I mean, I, I would have made room in my heart. And there are some who would say this, and they'll say this when it's everlastingly too late. If I had only known that God was real. If I had only known that Jesus wasn't a legend, but really died on a cross for me. If I had only known the Bible was true, I would have accepted it. And may I tell you here this morning, with all sorrow, but with all authority from the Word of God, that there will be people that will say at those last days at the great white throne judgment, I didn't know. I didn't know. And he'll say this, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. 
and they'll be cast in the lake of fire forever. It's serious. And ignorance is no excuse. By the way, God is making himself known to this world today in many different ways. Psalm 19 verse 3 says, There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Talking about the triune God. What about Romans 10 verse 3? For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And this is talking of the Jews and their ignorance. But, but truly, none of us can claim ignorance because, listen, everything we see around us testifies of God and who He is. And even the chaos of this world, as the world turns away from God, yes, we see that. But the, this creation and who God is, He testifies of us and uh, of Himself to us. And understand this, even if you could plead ignorance, which you can't, even if you could plead ignorance, I've got bad news for you. You can't today because you've heard the message. No, you can't today, even if you could, which you cannot. But for the sake of argument, if you could, the decision has been laid before you today. And ignorance is no excuse. But officer, I didn't know. Well, there was a sign over here that said 45 miles an hour and you were going 80. I didn't see it. Because I was going too fast. And I was drunk. Well, that's another problem. Ignorance is no excuse. The law is the law. By the way, each of us have transgressed God's law, and there are consequences. But I didn't know, you know today. You've been told today. Take all of the other parts out of the equation and know this. I truly believe that if you deny Christ and you continue that posture all the way until you depart from this world or Jesus Christ uh, returns and, and it's, it's too late for you, what happens? I believe that times like this where you did hear a clear gospel message will play in your mind for all eternity in the lake of fire. The anguish, not just of the literal flames, but the anguish of being apart from God and knowing that you didn't have to be for all eternity. I can't even imagine. Say, Pastor, why, do, why does Liberty Baptist Church do what it does? Because we want as many people to know as possible that Jesus loves them, that, that this, isn't about, this isn't about just, oh, oh sweet baby Jesus, and oh, let's, let's uh, exchange some gifts, and let's just go on to the next festival of the year. No, it's about Jesus who was born to die upon Calvary, as Diane just played just a few moments ago, and that he can change your life forever if you accept that gospel message. December 2nd, 1998 was the day I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I've been here long enough, you could probably answer that trivia question. <laughs> December 2nd, 1998. Came from a Lutheran background, trusted in all the things I was doing as a Lutheran. That's all I was taught. You know what I came to recognize? I have to trust in Christ alone to save me. I have to trust in Him alone to save me. And can I tell you that these things that we speak of today are serious? 
and if you find something humorous about this today or you find something uh, that, that, that's, that's uh, worth joking of today, then I would, I would beg you to listen carefully because there is nothing to laugh about when it comes to denying Jesus Christ. Not a thing. And the best decision I ever made in this life and anything good that has come after it has all come from the place when Jesus Christ saved me and him alone. Not my baptism, not the Lord's Supper, not church membership, not giving in the offering. Well, Pastor, you talked about offering during the Sunday school. No, no. No, we don't do that to get saved. We do that because we're saved. That's we out of a heart that wants to, not out of paying some blood money, if you will, to try to get in. No, no. We give out of gratefulness for what God has done for us. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 22, in the last days of Jesus' life, it says, Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all said unto him, Let him be crucified. But that question, What shall I do then with Jesus? is a question you have to answer today. You have a choice. You may put no vacancy in front of your heart. And it could be because it's an inconvenient season. It could be because you're being inhospitable to the Savior. It could be because before you were ignorant. But I tell you today, there is no acceptable reason to turn away Jesus Christ. At that great white throne, there will be no one who says, but Lord, I had my reasons. And he'll say, you know what? You didn't come through the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I see why you didn't. And I understand why you didn't trust Christ as, my, as your savior. But in your specific situation, we're gonna let you in. Enjoy the joys of heaven. There's one way. One way. That's through Jesus Christ. The commentator William Barclay said this, there was no room in the inn, or rather that there was no room in the inn, was symbolic of what was to happen to Jesus. The only place where there was room for him was on the cross. The only place where there was room for him was on the cross. And aren't you glad today that he was willing to take that space on the cross between two thieves for you and for me, carrying the sin that we placed upon him through this life, but that he willingly took and died for you and I. What a blessing. Blessing doesn't even cover it. We could bless his name for all eternity and it would never exhaust the gratefulness we should have in our heart for salvation. I'll give you this example and I'll be done. I, I'm thankful we have these, these tracks, these Christmas tracks, because we're able to Invite people to Cantata next week in the Christmas Eve, but of course it has the gospel message in brief on the back as well. I've been blessed to be able to give some of them out this week. And it's always an encouragement to me that if I give one to someone and walk away, I kind of try to look at them through the side of the eye to see what they're doing, see if they kind of toss it away or something like that. I gave one to a gentleman at Walmart a few days ago and he was bringing the groceries to me. And, and uh, you know, what's interesting is that they got everything wrong. Got everything wrong. And you know what I wanted to do is explain to him in very specific and graphic detail how wrong he was. 
I'm not talking about graphic as far as language. I'm just talking about, I just want to be careful about what you think I mean by that. But I just, I wanted to just, and you know what I thought? Be careful. One, because I was in the church van. But two, because I'm a believer. No, I explained to him how he was wrong. Because I wanted the right groceries. But I went through that. He was very kind. He came back a few minutes later with the right groceries. And the Lord just reminded me, take out one of those tracks and give it to him. You know, if I had responded the wrong way, believer, I would have lost an opportunity to show him his need of salvation. I gave him the track. He thanked me. He walked away. And as I was getting ready to pull out, I just saw him reading it as he went. I tell you, I don't know if he accepts Christ as Savior or not. I probably won't know this side of eternity. But I do know this. He's on his way to understanding the gospel. Believer, are we doing what we need to do to tell people, even within our own home or with our own family or within our own peer group or within our own school or within our own workplace or doing everything we can to give them the gospel? But I will say this, just hearing the message won't make you saved. Just holding a track won't make you saved. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you think, well, I'll be safe, I'll be okay with God because I heard this message today. Then you missed the point of the message. It's not just enough to hear it. It's not just enough to read it. You must say, I believe in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I confess my sin before the Lord today. I, 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 I have to do enough works. to No, no, we're not talking about work salvation. No, no, that's what the false gospel groups will say. That's what, what the Catholics will say. That's, that's what the Lutherans will say, that it's about your works. No, no, it's about bringing those sins before Jesus Christ and understanding that it's the blood of Jesus Christ that will wash us from all sins and He alone. Will you accept that message today or will you leave here with a no vacancy sign across your heart? Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org, or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.